Hey, we are in a new series. We're just beginning. Uh, we're talking about the hallmarks of God's uh, covenant. And, uh, and in that process, we are going to be talking about uh, some values that are very important to us here at Mission Church. Uh, we have three core values that we talk a lot about around here, or maybe not all that much, but uh, they're certainly in the back of our minds. Uh, when we talk about three things, we talk about intimacy, which is what we're going to talk about today. Intimacy is that idea to say we have a relationship with God this way. It is something that he pursues with us and we pursue with him and, and we're continually growing in this. And so we talk about that. That's kind of the foundation of what we're about is that God desires to have a relationship with us. And so we talk a lot about intimacy. Then we talk about this idea of community. Community is that we have a relationship with each other that we are better together and that things happen when we work, interact, interact with each other. We accomplish more, we learn more, we grow more, uh, we support each other better. Uh, we have all that process. So we talk about community. And then we talk about multiplication is the third thing. And multiplication is that idea, for me anyway, that, that what God has given to us, we're passing on to somebody else. We're, we're multiplying it on. We're paying it forward, if you will. So the grace and mercy that God has given to us, we have a responsibility to give to others, right? The, the, to the measure that you have received his grace and mercy, you have a responsibility to say to others, man, something's happened to me. Jesus, life, Jesus Christ has changed my life, and you know, he can change your life too. We also have a responsibility within our community that we're, we're passing on. We are light and salt in the world, right? We are people that, can you imagine what the world would be like without Christians who actually said, I can be a difference maker? It, it would be a disaster. And so we are also that emphasis in the world that we are making a difference in the world, and we're multiplying the goodness and grace and mercy of God in very tangible kinds of ways. So we're going to be talking about those kinds of things as we go through this series. Um, but today we're talking about uh, intimacy, and we're going to do that from the context of the life of Abraham. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapters uh, 12 through 17 primarily, but it really starts kind of in the middle of 11 and goes all the way through 23 or 4, something like that. So it's a big story. So if you're looking someplace to uh, devotional reading or whatever in the next uh, few weeks. If you want to just stick your nose in there, just keep reading through that. Uh, it is interesting stuff. And so we're going to just keep coming back to this passage. Uh, I'm not going to read my text today because, you know, seven chapters is a lot to read when you get going. So uh, we're, I'm going to just try to tell you the story as we go along with it. Uh, but there's some things that I, I want you to know about intimacy with God that come out of the life of Abraham. But which apply to all of us. And, and the first one is simply this, is that intimacy is initiated by God. Now, that seems like kind of a simple concept, but, but, but it is really a major, major understanding that, that it is God who initiates a, a relationship with us. It's not us trying to be better and somehow uh, hope that God will like us one day, but it is, it is God saying, right where you're at, right with what's going on in your life, I am seeking a relationship with you. And, and he does that. And so we see that in, in Abraham's life. Uh, Abraham's life in, in chapter 12, uh, God comes to Abraham and says to him, hey, let's go for a walk. Let, let's journey together. Let's uh, take you from this place where you're at and let's go over here to this other place, which happened to be, uh, he was in uh, Haran and, and he said, let's go to Canaan. And so he just invites him on this journey, and, and he's initiating that process. And, and in that process, he says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to make you abundance, and I'm going to give you all this stuff that's going to happen, and the whole world is going to be a better place because of you and your family. And he says, okay, good, let's go. And so he goes. In chapter 15, he comes back again, and he says, 
you know, just want to remind you one more time, I'm, I'm making a covenant with you uh, that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to walk with you and you walk with me and be upright in your life and your heart and all that you are and, and we're going to do this. And he has this big ceremony where they, you know, divide the animals and, and God passes through and all that kind of happens. Chapter 17 comes and one more time, God is coming and saying, hey, Abraham, let's, let's go on this journey. Let's go a little further. I'm going to remind you, it's not Ishmael, it's, it's you and Sarah and, and we're going to have this covenant, and we got the covenant of circumcision. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week when we talk about community. But, but he gave them the sign of, of the circumcision as their indicator of community. And, and all along the way, God just keeps showing up. And if you read through those chapters, you find God just keeps showing up. He just shows up, and he says, I got this thing. Hey, Abraham, let's go on a journey. Let's, let's talk. Let's do this stuff. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Keep drawing us. And, and that's the way he does that. And God does that all through Scripture. We know a couple of our favorite passages of Scripture. I used them both last week. Now John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a God-initiated expression of love. It says we don't deserve that. We don't get that. But, but God says, I love you anyway. Now Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says a similar kind of thing. It says, as God demonstrates his own love in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were doing anything worth God even paying attention, he was already paying attention. He was already inviting us, already seeking us out, already wanting to draw us in. And that is the way God works in us all the time. Now, for me, uh, this is really huge because I don't deserve that. And, and maybe you do, I don't know, maybe you're so good, you say, man, God ought to take a look at me. But I just tell you, I know who I am and I know how my life was. And there was really no reason why God would be interested in the likes of me. But I'm telling you, he is and he's interested in the likes of you. It doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. doesn't matter, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. doesn't matter how often you've done that or how far you've gone. It doesn't matter. God is still calling and drawing and reaching out to you and saying, come along. Come along. That's what he does. That's who God is. You got to get that at the very foundation of who you are and how you think about this relationship with God. It's God who is seeking you out. Right? Okay, so the second thing is this, is that intimacy is progressive. I don't know if you have the bulletins on there, by the way. Uh, It's a very simple outline. I had somebody in the first service came up to me, Pastor, you only have three lines in your outline. What's going on? Is it going to be a really short sermon? And I said, no, I'm a preacher. It's never short. And so, you know, so anyway, but they're, they're there. So intimacy is progressive. And what I mean by that is that it, it's a journey. It, it, it's a journey. You just don't go from, you know, A to Z with God. It, it is a journey. God is continually revealing things to you and continually revealing himself and continually showing up and continually inviting us into relationship, continually inviting us to take steps of faith. He's in this journey with us. Now, this is kind of interesting. Do you you know where the journey with Abraham started? Now, this is is a trivia question, a Bible trivia question. Where did the journey that Abraham was on start? What's the record we have? Where did he start out? He started out in Ur, that's right. Ur, Ur. Not the pirate Ur, but Ur. (laughs) You are. (laughs) He started in the Ur of Chaldeans, and, and he actually started there. And what's kind of interesting is, why did he go from Ur to Iran, where, where he went to? 
Why did he go there? It's what? It's where his family went. This is important. I, th- I think this is important. This is kind of a silly thing. Abraham started on this journey from Ur of Chaldea on this journey, not because God showed up. Isn't that funny? Not because God showed up, but because his father said, let's go. You, you get this? And, and I got to thinking about that. I was, I was laying in bed in the middle of the night last night, thinking about this whole story thing. And I was laying there, and I was thinking, you know, that's kind of interesting. Isn't that the way we are a lot of times? That our first steps toward following have nothing to do with us and God, but just have to do with the relationships that we have with us. That sometimes, like kids with our parents, we just kind of go along. We just kind of go along. We just kind of show up. We have friends that are, that are following God, and we just kind of go along. And then, and then one day, suddenly God shows up and says, Abraham, or Abram at the time, as his name was, Abram, let's go on a journey. Don't stop here. This isn't the destination. And I thought this kind of interesting. There's on this journey, so he's on this journey. He goes with his father from Ur to, to Haran. And in Haran, his father dies. And God shows up and says, you know, this isn't the place for you. Let's go to Canaan. And so he says, okay. And in the process, he says, okay, God, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make all this kind of stuff happen. And so he goes. And how many of you would have gone on that journey? One of you. Okay. I want to tell you, all of you would have gone on this journey. Seriously, wouldn't you go on this journey? Okay, so you're there. Your father's just passed away. You're kind of in this emotional crisis, probably. You, you've got all this stuff going on. You have this epiphany. You have this moment. I don't know what I don't know what that was like. It really doesn't describe it. it. Just says God showed up. So, so you're here. You have this spiritual experience with with a heavenly being. God shows up, and what does He say to you? Let's go on a journey. Let's go for a walk. He says, and by the way. If you go on the walk with me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you abundance like you've never imagined abundance. I'm going to give you uh, sons and daughters. I'm going to give you family. There are going to be so many people in your family that you're going to outnumber the grains of sand. You're going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'm going to give you so much stuff. Just go with me. Sign me up, right? Ah, you guys aren't materialistic souls. I'd have gone. Sorry. So he goes. So he has this thing, and then, and then, and then God begins to show up. He just keeps showing up, and he keeps reminding him of stuff. And, and, and he goes along, and he has this experience, and, and, you know, stuff happens along the way. He does some good things, and he does some not-so-good things. It's to chapter 15. 15 comes. It's been a long time. You know that Abraham was 75 years, Abram was 75 years old when God first showed up. Right? We get that. 75 years old when he first showed up. Now we get to chapter 15, and, and it's been a few years. Things have passed along. And God shows up, and he reminds him, same thing. I'm going to bless you. I don't want you to forget the covenant. I, I don't want you to give up on this. I want you to keep following me, and I'm going to bless you. And so he, he goes through this whole covenant thing. Split all the animals. I don't know what all that's about. You know, you know, just divide half and half. And, you know, the guy who's making the covenant passes through the middle of it, and that assures the, that, you know, nothing's ever going to happen to that covenant. And it's just kind of one of those things that they did. And, 
And God says, that's who I am. I'm making this covenant with you. I am going to bless you. You're going to have children, and you're going to have an abundance of children, and you're going to have abundant of blessing. And he was blessed. I mean, he was already progressing. I mean, good things were happening to his life. And he's doing all this stuff, and he shows up. That's chapter 15. You know what chapter 16 is? This is where most of us show up. Chapter 16 of Abram's life is, God, I heard what you said. God, I see some pretty cool things happening. But God, you're a little slow. So uh, we're going to make this thing kind of happen. We're going to just jumpstart it. And you remember this story. This is Sarah, Sarai, saying to Abram, Abram, my husband, it appears that I'm never going to have a kid. So why don't you take my maidservant and you go have relations with her and have a child with her and then you will have an heir. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, I, this, this is crazy. But, but essentially, essentially, it's Abraham and Sarah saying, you're going too slow, God. You're not fulfilling the promise the way you said you would. And so I'm going to make it happen. Anybody ever done that in your life? I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to do some stuff and we're going to twist some stuff and we're going to just make it all happen. And so they do it. That's chapter 16. Chapter 17, now we're years later. I mean, we're in this journey. This is a long journey. Chapter 17, God shows up one more time. And he says, Abram, you're doing it the wrong way. I'm telling you, you are going to have a son. And what does Abram do? He laughs at God. Laughs at God. He says, I'm 99 years old. I see, you know, 75. Now he's 99 years old. My wife, Sarah, is 90. You think we're going to have children, God? You're crazy. But God says, I'm telling you, it's the truth. My promise is secure. You are going to be a people. You are going to be a great nation. You are going to be father of nations. You are going to bless the world with all that you are. And oh, by the way, the sign of my blessing and my covenant with you. Guys, are you ready for this? Is circumcision. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> sign me up at 99 years old. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why they do that when you're eight days old. You don't remember all that stuff. <laughs> It's this journey. It's this journey that that he's on that started in a very simple way with God just saying, I'm going to bless you, come and follow me. It's it's all the continually to show up through all of his mess ups and all those kinds of things. I mean, going down to Egypt. Twice he did this. I don't know. Twice sold his wife off as his sister. Did that twice in this story. That's not right, Abraham. So going through all this process, going, I'm going to bless you. I'm, I'm going to do this. Here's a covenant with you, and I'm going to give you the covenant of the, the relationship, the, the kingdom here, the circumcision, and all this stuff. And he's this long journey. And then when you keep on reading the story, you get to Genesis chapter 22. You know what Genesis chapter 22 is? God shows up one more time. And he says, Abraham. Abraham. I want you to go and sacrifice all of your dreams. All that you ever hoped might be, all that you thought I was saying to you, all the the dreams that you had in life to fulfill all this stuff, I want you to go 
and sacrifice those dreams. Well, that's not what he said. He actually said, go, go kill your son. Go sacrifice your son, Isaac. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. But it was essentially God saying, would you be willing to let go of all of your dreams, everything that you had placed your hope into? Now, after all of these years, he's 100 years old, and he's had this son that God had promised that all these amazing things were going to happen through this one child of his, the only child he was ever likely to have. God says, would you be willing to lay down your dreams and still follow me, still trust me to fulfill all the promises that I have for you in your life? And Abraham says, Son, let's go for a walk in the woods. Could you imagine a father's heart when your son says, Daddy, I see the wood and I see the fire, but Daddy, where's the sacrifice? And Daddy says, the Lord will provide. And he goes there and he's ready to just Lay down his own son. He's already tied him up, already laid him on the altar. He's already ready to slice and dice him. I don't get that. That'll be one of those questions I'll ask in heaven. I don't get it, but he's ready to lay it all down. He's ready to give it all up. And God says, wait. Now I truly get it. Now you've truly proven to me that it's more about me than about the stuff. You see, intimacy with God is this process that we walk through and journey through with him. If if God had come to Abraham and said, Abraham, we're going to walk together, and 25 years from now, I'm going to ask you to sacrifice your son, to give up all your dreams, everything you'd ever asked for, everything you'd ever hoped for, I'm going to ask you to give up. Abraham said, I'm not getting on that wagon. Are you crazy? But God started with Abraham where he was at, with what he needed. And he does the same thing with us. And that's true. He takes us where we're at, what we can handle, what we can respond to, and we respond to it at that level. And he walks us through this journey over the years, this journey of relationship, this journey of experience, this journey of failures and restoration and successes and moving forward and blessing and setbacks and all the rest of this stuff until, until we get down to the end. And, and this relationship we have with God is no longer about the goodies that we're going to get. Not about the goodies anymore. It's not, about, it's not about, oh my goodness, I'm sure glad I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. Praise God. It, it, I mean, that's okay, and I, I, I'm there, and I'm so glad, and I'm glad God loves me. I remember the day I woke up, and I, and I understood God really loved me, and God really wanted me to be in a relationship, and all this stuff that I'd heard about, I finally understood. I got that. He starts with us where we're at, and over all these years, he gets down to this other end of the spectrum, and he says, but it's not about that anymore. Abraham says, God, I will follow you even when I don't get it. I'll follow you when I have to lay down all my dreams. I'll follow you when all the good stuff happens. I'll follow you when all the garbage happens in my life. I'm going to follow you because that is the only thing that matters. Be my everything, right? It's that, it's that sense of that transformation of a relation, an intimate relationship that started over there and through the years grew to be this thing over here. 
We are all on journeys. And the people, <laughs> the people we used to be, it's not who we are today. Lord willing, we're better. <laughs> or maybe we're in one of those valleys, <laughs> but we're not there. And, and, and we're not gonna, we won't be that same person down here. We're, we're going to be somebody different in years down the road. And you may be in a place right now in your life and you say, I don't know what's going on. But I just tell you, wherever you're at, God is there with you. And he's on this journey, continually revealing himself, continually drawing us deeper into himself, continually inviting us into steps of faith, continually inviting us on this journey. Because that's the way he works. Third thing is this. Intimacy needs a response. Intimacy needs a response. You see, at every step along the way, Abram or Abraham, they changed his name, had a choice. We always have choices to make in this process. Way back at the beginning, it didn't, you know, I don't know why he would have said no to that promise, but a pretty good promise, but way back at the beginning, he could have said no. He could have said, yeah, no, I think I like it here. It's comfortable. My daddy's buried here. I'm going to stay here. I'm not going. He could have said that. All along the way, every time he got in some situation, he could have said, uh, no, I think I'm going to opt out. Uh, and, and he just trusted God, though. Every step along the way, chapter 12, he did it. Chapter 14, he did it. Chapter 15, he did it. Chapter 17, he did it. He just, every step along the way, he made a choice to say, yes, I'm going to take that step with God. Yes, I'm going to go there. And those choices are not always easier you know, left family and everything that was familiar to him. Left all that stuff behind in chapter 12. Chapter 14, you remember chapter 14? It was Abraham and Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And they had accumulated already massive herds and people and stuff. And, and they weren't getting along because there just was not enough space. And they said, well, we can't be fighting like this. We're family. And so Abraham said, I tell you what, Lot, you pick whichever you want. You can have the fertile valleys, and the description of the script in, the, in the Bible is this beautiful, green, fertile valley. You can choose the valleys. You take the valley, I'll take the mountains. You take the mountains, I'll take the valley. Whatever you want. And Lot chose the very best. He chose the valleys with the green grass and the perfect location for herds. And Abram said, I'll go the other way. And God showed up and said, I will yet bless you in this way. And he says, okay, I trust you. I trust you in those kinds of things. I trust you at every point. I trust you. And, you know, I failed. You know, stupid things. You ever done something stupid with God? I mean, he does it. And yet God is there, keeps inviting him. Chapter 17, you're laughing at God, but I still choose you, God, even when I don't get it. Everybody makes choices about responding to God's invitation. The disciples did that. Jesus came to the disciples and said, come and follow me. They left their boats and followed him. Zacchaeus heard the message, came down from the tree, invited Jesus into his house, said, my life's different. I'm going to set it straight. You know, those things that I was doing before, he was cheating people and he was defrauding people. He said, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going with you. 
over and over again from Scripture to our very own experience, we know the truth of this. We make choices about following the invitation, the still small voice of God. We make choices to say, I'm going to go that direction or I'm not going to go that direction. It happens. I love the life of Peter. Think about Peter. Peter, you know, he's one of the disciples, left his boats, going to follow Jesus, going to do the whole thing. And so he's following along. He's doing this, this long journey as everything's wonderful and great. He, he goes along and, and he comes to this place and Jesus has this amazing day. You know these amazing days of Jesus? He feeds thousands of people with nothing, or basically nothing. Thousands of people are, are fed, they're excited, they're happy, they're saying, here's the Messiah, he's going to give us everything we ever wanted. And then he opened his mouth and started saying the stupidest things. He said, this is my body and this represents my blood. And, and if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have nothing to do with me and nothing to do with the kingdom. And, and these people were like, no. Can you imagine a Jew thinking, drink blood? That just didn't happen. They left. Everybody left. The thousands of people that were there. I mean, 5,000 were fed. Probably 15,000 people were there. They all just left. And Jesus says to the disciples, are you not going to go too? Joyce, are you not going to go too? And Peter says, where else would we go? (laughs) You have the words of life. Years go by. Jesus is on trial for his life, and here's Peter. I tell you, I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. I swear to you, I have never seen this guy before. Jesus is crucified, dead, buried. Three days later, risen from the grave. Oh, Peter, you got a choice. I'm not done with you. You want to come along? Peter, in the midst of your greatest failure, I'm not done with you. You want to come along? Jesus is is gone, ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit has come to come in power and authority. Peter's out there preaching the gospel to anybody who will listen. He's so strong about this and so powerful about this that he gets arrested. They take him in. They, They bring him in before the Sanhedrin and they say to him, you can't be doing this. You can't speak like this. In fact... You're going to be in big trouble. In fact, we're going to beat you because you're speaking like this. We're telling you, you will not say another word about this Jesus character again. Choices. Choices. And Peter says, hmm, you'll have to be the one to decide whether it's right or wrong for me to speak about this Jesus. But as for me, I cannot stop from speaking about this one. It's not in Scripture, but 
Tradition tells us that at the very end, Peter said, I am not worthy to die as Jesus did on the cross. Crucify me upside down. Choices. It's this journey, and all along the journey, we're making choices about going with God. That is the nature of intimacy. This God who is reaching out to us, who is walking and journeying with us from where we're at to where he wants to take us, this long journey, and along the way, we are making choices. Choices in our failures, choices in our successes, choices when we do good, choices when we don't do good. God's continually there saying, come on along, come on along, come on along. And it would be an easy thing to just kind of bail out and say, I've, been, I've messed up so bad. I mean, Peter could have bailed in the middle of it all, could have bailed and said, you know what, I've, I've done so bad, I've messed up so far, I've, I've made the, and I've made this mistake so many times, I've just opened my mouth once too many. And we do that too. We think, God, I've messed up so many times in such bad ways, but I'm telling you, God doesn't. Well, he does care, but it's not the end with God. He keeps inviting us on this journey, this inviting us into intimacy, inviting us deeper into the things of God, inviting us to more of him and more of him and more of him. And every step along the way, we say, God, I just want to know you more. God, as much as I know, I give you. And a year later, you say, oh, my goodness, (laughs) as much as I know, I give you. As much as I know, I give you, I trust you, God. And it just goes deeper and deeper. That's intimacy in this journey with God. It's who we are. It's part of our core values as a church because it's who God is. He is invested in us in relationship and drawing us. You know, one of the ways that we we walk with God and we grow in him and we learn in him is when we gather together. In in about three weeks from now, we are going to start a uh, our fall spiritual growth uh, emphasis. And it is six weeks in which we're inviting everyone in our entire congregation from young to not so young to be gathered together in a smaller circle to just pursue God together. It's based on this. It just says everybody needs a smaller circle. This is fun. We can have a good time here together and we have, I love to teach and preach and I love to worship and sing and we praise and we pray and we do all that stuff. But there's something that happens in a smaller circle that helps us grow intimate with God, live in our relationships with one another. And and it's my hope and desire, I can't say this strongly enough for you, I hope that every single person in our congregation and beyond (laughs) would get connected in a smaller circle, whether that's a Sunday morning circle or, or something during the week. 
every single one of us get connected in a smaller circle where we have time to pray, we have time to ask questions, we have time to share our thoughts, uh, our doubts, and our praises. Uh, we have time to pray together. It's, it's where that stuff happens. And I, and I hope that you will seriously um, make that kind of commitment for those six weeks. I, I won't quite say do six weeks and you're off the hook, but I will just say this. If you're not in a smaller circle, give it six weeks. Give it six weeks of hanging out with other people and then decide, is this helping me or not helping me? Is this encouraging me or not encouraging me? Just give it six weeks. This study that we're going to be doing is called Jesus at Work, and we're going to be looking at this book here called Christians in the Workplace. It talks about this idea of how do I live out my faith where I am? Because sometimes we think, well, I come to church and I'm one thing, and then the rest of my week I do something else. But the reality is you're more time out there than you are in here. And so we want to we help you think about the idea to say, how do I live out my faith where I'm at? How do I do this? Because we're continually faced with questions about, do people see Jesus in me when I'm at work? When I'm out there in relationship, do people see me or do they see that ugly, mean, cranky person at work? That doesn't have anything to do with who I'd really like to be. We have to ask those questions to say, how am I living out the integrity of my ethics and my morals in my workplace? Am I, am I honest in what I deal with in those workplaces? How, how do I live that stuff out? How do I make that happen? How do I just be Jesus in those places? And, you know, and, and I, think you'll, I think you'll enjoy this. The, you know, we were talking about this, and, and we, we kind of came up with some questions because we thought most of us are employed working situations, but, but not all of us are. Uh, some are in school. Some are retired. Uh, some are the stay-at-home moms and doing that kind of thing. Uh, so there's not everybody in the workplace. But, but really, this is not about just a job. This is about relationships. All of us have relationships where these very same things happen. I, I love Beverly was sharing a story this morning in staff meeting about going to a PTA meeting. And she says, it's just like being back in high school again, only it's the parents. There, there are these little cliques about, you know, these are the really cool parents and they're all hanging out. And then there's this little clique of parents over here and little clique of parents over here. And, and she was telling us about this. And she said, you know, I have to make a decision about... Who am I going to be in that situation? Am I going to attach myself to one of those groups or am I going to find this group of ladies over here who just seem lost and don't know what's going on and I'm going to go over and befriend them and hang out with them? And that's what she chose to do. She said, because I think that represented Jesus in that environment. That, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? It's not just a work environment. It is a relationship environment. Paul helped me with our retired folk. He said, you know what retired means? Retired means everybody is your boss. Yeah, the, only the old people laughed at that. So <laughs> you, you get this. When I, years ago, I, I met a guy and... Um, looking at my time here. I, I met a guy and he, uh, he was 83 years old. And he said, you know, the 80s are the absolute best years of life. He said, when I retired in my early 60s, he said, you know, I was young, I was strong, and everybody knew it, and I had time. And so they called me for everything. 
I didn't have a job anymore, but I had all these people wanting me to work for them for free. And so I was never so busy and never so tired as I was. My kids called me, my brothers and sisters called me, my church called me. Everybody wanted my time, wanted everything I had. I was never so busy as I was in my 60s. Then I got to my 70s. He said the 70s are absolute worst because they, you look like you looked in the 60s, but you don't feel like you did in the 60s. Now you are a little tired, but you still look like you're young. And they still want you to work like a dog. He said, the 80s are the absolute best because when I get to my 80s, everybody's just happy that I'm alive. (laughs) That I show up. I just show up and they're happy I'm there. I don't have to do anything. I just come in and say, hi, you know, good, yeah, okay. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. So it's not just about work. It's about about relationship because even when we're retired, even when we're stay-at-home moms, even when we're out there in relational kind of situations, you're at school, Right? You're at school and you have to have those questions, those decision to say all your friends are copying off each other. Do you copy off each other? Don't answer that question. I don't want to know. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It, it is, is Christ showing up in my character? You say, I was so excited. Matthew's not here, right? Then I can talk about Matthew. Okay. Now, this is good. I'm so excited. I'm, here. I'm hearing all these stories from Beverly. Matthew is just, how about grades Matthew in? He's in fourth grade? Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. He's in fourth grade. So he's in fourth grade, and and he's sitting around this table at at school, and and this one kid says something really bizarre, not not, kind of a, I don't know what I'd call it, kind of a racist kind of statement. And I'm sorry, not Matthew, some other kid at the table. And And Matthew says, you know, that's not the way we talk. We're not going to talk like that. This, you know, and I'm, I'm like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm just like, that's Jesus showing up in the school. That you make choices to say, this is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to live like. And this is how I'm going to influence people around me. And this is the, the moral and the morality and the ethic that I live by. And so this stuff about workplace is, is it's school it's work, it's home, it's the PTA meeting, it's out in the, oh boy, soccer moms, right? Golf course, oh boy, now you've gone to preaching to meddling. <laughs> yeah, gone from preaching to meddling. But it's true, it's true. Are you honest on the golf course? Do you have a relationship with people? Are, what do you, I mean, I do that all the time. God, how do you want to use me here? Who is this person? What am I doing? Who am I playing with? It is all of that stuff. Because God is at work in the midst of us. So it's Jesus at work. Hope you will be plugged into it. If you want more information about the study, there are some books out there, and you can go and take a look at those kinds of things. You know, as we get, you might say, how do I get connected into a life group? And there are a couple ways you can do it. You know what's kind of a really fun way? We have this really complicated system this year for getting connected in a life group. You know what it is? It's really complicated. You've got to listen hard. Go out there, pick up a book, go grab two or three of your friends and say, hey, let's do this study. That's simple enough. I mean, you don't have to have 12 people to have a small group, right? You could grab two or three of your friends from work even and say, you know, on our lunch hour, let's talk about Jesus at work. I mean, you could just do that. Simple enough, right? 
You could, you could look around here and say, you know, some people you want to get to know better, just go grab them and say, are you in a group? Oh, good, me either. Let's go do this. Or you might be in a group and you might say, you know, I kind of like to just find a couple other people. I, I'm kind of tired of my group anyway. And so, you know, <laughs> it happens. Just grab the book. If you, I tell you what, if you start a brand, if you're going to start a brand new group, and we encourage you to do that, we will give you everything that you need. All the rest of you have to pay $10 a book. Oh, that's, I'm just sorry, that's what it is. But if you're going to start a new group, we will give you everything that you need to start the book for free. So you can invite a friend and not have to say, oh, by the way, it's 10 bucks. So you get that? That's a simple way to do that. If you're, if you're thinking, eh, I'm not quite a group starter and you want to just get plugged into a group, you can go online and on our website and there's a little link there to do that. Or you can stop at the table and they'll help you get plugged into a group. We want everybody plugged in a group. You're going to hear me say that a lot over the next few weeks. Okay? So find your place. Get plugged in. It is part of this process. Intimacy, community, multiplication. It is part of that process. And God invites it. We are better together, folks. Yes? Yeah. Father, we're so thankful that you reach out to us in love. You invite us into an intimate relationship with you. We hear you. And we choose you. Lord, help us to live like that all the time. Lord, we know that you put people around us, a community that helps us to grow and to live and to explore, ask questions. Help us, Lord, to choose, to choose you and choose to grow. Help us to be who you want us to be in the world, sharing the good things that you've given to us. So, Lord, hold us, mold us, take us deeper in you every single day. And on this journey, Lord, we say yes.